Welcome back to Techtopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Joshua Pierce. He's working on distributed recycling. This is Technotopia. Today's episode of Technotopia is brought to you by Joybird. Joybird believes that you should never settle when it comes to your home furnishings, that you should always have the freedom to be boldly original. Joybird ships furniture to your home. With Joybird, you get one-of-a-kind furniture made to your unique taste. You turn your ideas into reality with hundreds of styles and options. From mid-century modern to contemporary classics, customizable in an amazing array of fabric choices, from rich, buttery leather and plush velvets to every color imaginable. You also have a wide range of kid and pet-friendly upholstery options available. That's exactly what we need. And you also have free personal design consultants to help nail down your product design. The best thing about Joybird, if you are not completely happy with it, you can send it back. There is a 365-day home trial. You skip the furniture store and you bring the showroom home. You sit on it, sleep on it, break it in. If you don't love your Joybird, return it for a full refund. There's hassle-free in-home delivery. They'll even remove all the packing materials, which is a real mess. And you get free returns within two weeks of delivery. I want you to go and see how Joybird is revolutionizing online furniture shopping. I want you to go create furniture that brings you joy at joybird.com techno. Because if you go to joybird.com techno, you receive an exclusive offer or 25% off your first order by using the code techno. That's 25% off just for using the code techno. Joybird, from idea to reality, they empower you to create the space and furniture that brings you joy. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Techtopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Joshua Pierce. Uh, he's a professor at Michigan Tech, um, and you're working on distributed recycling, which sounds uh, pretty cool. What's, why don't you describe uh, what, what your research uh, is right now? Sure. So right now, the, the way recycling works normally is you, you, know, you put your, your recyclables out with the trash, or maybe you have to take them to a recycling center. And then they're transported usually a very long distance before they're processed in a large factory to become a relatively low-cost feedstock and to go into another product. And that our, our recycling rates, um, in, in parts of the U.S. at least, are, are pretty dismal. And I think there's something like 90% of all the, the plastic that's ever been produced hasn't been recycled. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of centralized model doesn't work normally because we just don't see the benefit for it directly. Like people would like to be green, but if it... If you have to go out of your way to do it, it's it's too much to ask. Um, but there's another paradigm that has just opened up, and that's this idea that you would recycle your own waste products in order to bring yourself value. And where this has kind of uh, popped its head up most recently is in the 3D printing space. Mm-hmm. So anybody with a 3D printer, um, one of the relatively low-cost ones that have become um, largely ubiquitous. There are most schools, many libraries, and even many individuals have them now. Um, knows that you burn through plastic pretty fast. And the, the plastic that you're going through is commercialized, sort of proprietary feedstock uh, filament that's selling, let's say, somewhere between $20 and $50 a kilogram. And yet there's nothing special about this plastic. Um, there's no reason it should cost more than a dollar a kilogram because that's the kind of the bulk cost mm-hmm. of these plastics. And so uh, my research group and, and many others have started looking into the potential to take waste plastic literally out of, you know, the waste receptacle in your kitchen and convert that into uh, 3D printing plastic. Okay. So I'm like, like literally like a, like a milk carton and like, uh, like that's, that right. sounds, that sounds a little bit like you're going to get all sorts of weird plastics. So what's the, uh, I guess, yeah, how's so- that, how do you put that together? 
So there's there's two main ways, and the, the first way is to use what's called a RecycleBot. So RecycleBot is a open source waste plastic extruder. It's um, essentially a motor driving an auger, and it could be as simple as a, as a wood auger you could pick up at the hardware store mm-hmm. that pushes shredded plastic through a hot zone. And up until this time, most people have been working with a single source of plastic. So you might grind up old 3D prints and put them in it, or you might say only do milk cartons or only do water bottles or only do like old ABS-based toys. Mm-hmm. And so you, you take your waste plastic, shred it out, put it through this, and then it outputs a filament, which is just a long string of uh, plastic spaghetti that then goes into kind of any conventional fused filament-based 3D printer. Mm-hmm. And our, our work has shown that, um, so first of all, you can make filament this way um, very inexpensively. Uh, the, the older recycle bots were producing plastic at around 10 cents a kilogram. And so you're comparing a 10 cents per kilogram to something that you might get on, you know, Amazon for 19.99, mm-hmm. and the the quality can be just as good because now many of them have uh, feedback um, mechanisms to m- keep the diameter of the filament uh, identical as it's going through, and that's especially important for recycled shredded plastic because you you don't necessarily have uniform component sizes and sometimes there's some, some contamination mm-hmm. and so anything you can do to keep that filament perfect and still usable in a 3d printer oh. is uh, good yeah that's fascinating so like so i mean uh, the well, i don't think we've actually talked a lot about 3d printing here so what do you think is the uh, is the future of of this technology like i have i've used 3d printers since i guess some of the first rep wrap uh, machines I, I, i've used 3d printers since they were pretty much the worst thing in the world uh, <laughs> I guess is the I guess is yeah, my so description. An old user, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I so I remember uh, I remember the days of like having awful software, and then you'd go away for literally fifteen minutes, and you'd get like a, a the entire the entire roll of uh, the entire spool of plastic is, is spit out into like this little this little globule. And then MakerBot came along, and they they fixed it up. They made it really really usable. But you're still getting this kind of the, the the quality of the of the print isn't quite what everybody was expecting. Are we are we approaching some uh, some uh, I guess tipping point where this where we're going to be printing I don't know ceramic plates for instead of going to uh, instead of going to IKEA? Yeah, I would say yes. So and, and I can maybe kind of fill in some of the holes because it started like you you the started extruder, at the, the very extruder. Beginning. Yeah, the extruder is what I was trying and to the, say. Yeah, the very the very <laughs> beginning first rep wraps were indeed atrociously terrible. Yeah, and. I, I always talk about it in sort of losing students. So the very, I built one my, 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 myself at home mm-hmm. and we're, we're okay. And then I was like, well, you know, this is going to be really cool. This is a great new research area. So I, I put a couple of summer students on it. And so two students taking an entire summer to build one finally got it together right at the end. And the very first print <laughs> broke. And so, you know, students are like holding it together with their hands, trying to <laughs> out a replacement part. And the the one student who was she's a brilliant student um, was like I'm not doing this anymore this is terrible and left <laughs> and so that that what where we were then okay um, is like night and day now so mm-hmm. I still teach 3D printing I I had I run a class at the university where everyone has to build their own and then use it for progressively more complicated design projects throughout the semester and so the those first ones were on the order of like a thousand dollars and they were super slow and defective and broke basically continually. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're building them for $500. They are much, much faster, much, much more reliable. They can be built in eight hours by somebody that's, you know, 
reasonably coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that's you know hasn't done it before, maybe it'll take them you know two days to get to spend a weekend on it. Uh, but they are the the rep rep technology is coming off a long way. And you mentioned MakerBot, so MakerBot for a long time. Um, I mean, for your, for your listeners that aren't as familiar with 3D printing, 3D printing goes back to the 1980s, but the only people that could get access to it were either working at top research universities or maybe, you know, like GM had a couple, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason for that is they were just absurdly expensive, hundreds of thousands of dollars for something that was just a hot glue gun squirting out plastic. RepRap came along when that patent ran out and it just ex- the technology exploded. So you not only had all the kind of the rep wrappers, people mucking around in their garages and their basements, you also had companies start to, to spin off. And one of the most successful early ones was MakerBot, where they were using that sort of open source tradition of having taking the improvements from everybody throughout the world and making a better and better and better project or product. And their um, they, their success, I think, actually killed them. So they mm-hmm. they they got to the point where they were sort of synonymous with you know, desktop 3D printers that were pretty reasonably okay. And they got bought by Stratasys, who was the original yep. owners of the FDM patents. And if you look at what happened to them right after that, they lost all their super users. So people like me that had helped develop the technology and put in, you know, like updated their wiki and tried to improve things were locked out. So we weren't allowed to fix anything. We couldn't even change the changes that we'd put in before. And um, they were largely abandoned. So most of the, the good users left. And then their very next kind of product evolution after that was this what they called a smart extruder, where they were trying to solve the extrusion uh, clogging problem, which is probably the most common defect with 3D printers. Mm-hmm. And their solution was when your nozzle clogged, you'd send it back to the company and they'd send you one that was yep. fixed. <laughs> and anyone that's done 3D printing for even a day knows that that's a total disaster. Yeah. So they got destroyed and, you know, they're stuck owners of status of stock started to sue them for buying this company for something million dollars and really just died i mean they're still in, in business but they've they're no longer mm-hmm. manufactured in the u.s and all that but yeah i'm like i'm, I'm good i'm good friends with brie pettis the the original yep. founder and his and his whole vision uh, whether we liked it whether the open source zealots liked it or not was to he was the Steve Jobs of this. He were the John, let's say that even not even the Steve Jobs, the Johnny Appleseed of this. He 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 spread 3D printing wherever he went, for better or worse. Well, and I I think his early work, especially what what it did though, is so you know MakerBot itself turned out not to be a great humongous success, especially after he left. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did do is it spurred hundreds of other companies to get into the game, and so now you have you you've had this like explosion of companies that drew push the cost down into the floor, bunch of copycat companies all over the place. And um, all of them were still sort of following the open source tradition, or at least the ones that are the most successful now are. And so if you look at Make Magazine, which has a 3D printing shootout every year, mm-hmm. um, the top ones are almost always open source. And it's usually a toss up between Lulzbot in the US and Prusa in Europe on who wins the top prize for you know best desktop 3D printer. And what's am- like amazing about those guys is that Every time there's an improvement, like every time one of them improves the software a little bit or has a better uh, method to like level the bed and that kind of thing, like all the old irritating things are no longer issues. Mm-hmm. They're automatic. Um, the next, everybody else will like immediately catch up. And so you have this sort of continuous arm race on innovation and 3D printing. And so where we are now is that if you buy one of those assembled desktop 3D printers from somebody like Lulzbot, and you, you'll pay more for it. So you're going to pay like maybe... Um, 
1500 $2,500 for a printer like that. They self-bed level, they have error detection, they are fairly reliable so that you, if you pick something that you uh, want to 3D print off the internet that's, you know, designed for 3D printing, um, slice it with their default settings, you're going to get the object that you wanted and you know, you're not going to wake up to, you know, a bowl of spaghetti of, of mm-hmm. wasted plastic. And so, and, and that's plastic, but then at the same time, there's been a lot of effort to push down the cost of metal 3D printing to go into ceramics. And there's companies, again, splurting up all over the place and commercial products coming out so that this is really, um, you know, we've kind of turned the corner where mm-hmm. if, you, if you go back a couple hundred years, people would maybe make them things for themselves. But then the Industrial Revolution came along and it's, you know, it no longer made sense for you to make, you know, say a broom that you, you know you could get a stick out of the woods and you can know you could go collect some grass and tie a cord around it and make a broom. It's a heck of a lot easier just to go to Walmart and buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're going the opposite direction again, where it's easier for me to 3D print things I need for my house than it is to, say, wait for Amazon to deliver it, even though I get next day delivery, or heavens forbid, I get in the car and drive to a store to buy it. And so that's, and you know, I'm using these a lot. And so it's maybe the average consumer isn't quite ready for it yet. It's not quite that user-friendly where it's just, you know, print and click. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's getting really close. And a lot of the automated um, error detection and correction, like we're on that. So there's re- research groups, including my own, trying to solve that problem. And it's just one of these things where it's clearly just sweat equity. And so you know, we're talking about the future. The future is people are going to be able to manufacture things for themselves much less expensively and um, more conveniently than um, purchasing them. And I, the reason I can make that claim with some... Um, you know, Gravitas, as we've done a couple studies where we first we took RepRap 3D printers that we we're making ourselves, uh, gave them to people that didn't know what they were doing, like new users, freshmen that came in and said, you know, print out a bunch of things that you want. And then we ran the economics on it and it came out um, heavily in favor of RepRap 3D printing, mm-hmm. and which was amazing at the time because we knew the plastic was marked up so much. And so the one that, you know, there were complicated things um, like um, quadcopters and stuff like that, that you would sort of expect, okay, that if you build something that's complicated using open source parts and custom 3D printed parts, it makes sense that it costs less. But the, the one that amazed me the most was shower curtain rings. Hmm. So I can 3D print shower curtain rings for less than I can buy them at the dollar store or anywhere on the internet um, using commercial heavily marked up plastic. And that just shouldn't be possible. And so the <laughs> what's happening is the markup even on just stupid stuff that they're mm-hmm. mass manufacturing by the ton uh, is insane. And that was with commercial plastic. And this is where distributed recycling becomes so um, amazing and kind of uh, you can see economics is just going to push us that way, is that if I can beat the shower curtain rings at $20 a kilogram plastic, um, what happens when my plastic costs me two cents a kilogram? Two cents a kilogram, sure. Like and, I'm, and I'm looking around right now, and I'm I've, I 3D printed uh, stands for my Star Wars guys that I have on my desk that I've had since the childhood, but I didn't have stands. And am I going to go on eBay? No, I'm going to 3D print them. That's fa- that's interesting. Yep. And so now, and 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 sort of, and actually, this kind of goes back to Bree is that what Thingiverse did is it sort of um, mm-hmm. started this idea that you know we should sort of pay forward uh, design work where. People before us have come, they've done some decent designs of things, like maybe um, holders for Star Wars characters, sure, sure. and that, that 
you know, if you make an improvement on it, you sort of owe it to the rest of the world to, to share it. And so uh, Thingiverse had been growing exponentially the last time I checked. And now there's dozens of other repositories. And you're at the point now where there's millions of freely downloadable open source designs for consumer goods. And um, we do, for our 3D printing, we make a lot of scientific equipment for it. So, you know, when we 3D print something, we're saving ourselves like $1,000 a print. And so it's very easy to justify it. Uh, but when you're just looking for toys for your kids or stuff for your kitchen or things to fix your car, um, more and more of those things, they might not be exactly what you want, but they're close. They're at least the beginning. And if you have any kind of design talent at all, have ever opened up a CAD package, you can fix the thing to make it what you want. And so we're quickly getting into that era where people that are technically savvy, 3D printers are, are definitely ready for them. What does the what does the market for uh, shower curtain rings look like in in the future when everybody can 3D print them? Is is there ever a point where I have a box in my kitchen that says I, I say tell, tell Alexa, hey, I need some shower curtain rings, uh, and it'll and it'll make them for me? I we are probably pretty close to that. So there's already um, lots of internet enabled 3D printers. And so you can kind of like order it and having a voice activation to be able to download the right type of shower curtain ring, or especially if you've already had a, you know, you already have your favorite kind, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you could just reorder it. I think that's um, well within reason. And and so this, this technology is, it's evolving very quickly, um, but it's already, it, it gets ready for people that are um, technically competent. I'll say it that way. Okay. It's not foolproof yet. And that there's a lot of room for entrepreneurs to get in there and um, polish things up a little bit. The The other thing that, that sort of, I, I think this, this year is going to be the breakout year for it, is the vast, vast majority of 3D printers on the market are these lower cost desktop 3D printers that are using filament to, to fabricate things. Um, what some companies have been doing, and it started with the, the larger format printer companies, but they're printing bigger things like chairs or automobile bodies and that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're burning through plastic like crazy and it's really expensive. And so they, they wanted to go to pellets because, you know, you can get pellets for maybe three to five dollars a kilogram. And so they, they've been making pellet printers. And we just teamed up with Re3D, which is a, a Texas uh, open source 3D printer company. They make fairly large 3D printers, like on the order of a, a cubic meter. Mm -hmm. And they... Um, have just developed what they call the Gigabot X, which is a 3D printer that directly prints from pellets. And their their idea oh, is okay. you just dump in the pellets and, and you get your print. And then, you know, so of course you could start, like if you're going to print something like a chair, <laughs> you don't want to be paying $20 a kilogram for plastic. Um, but here's the more exciting thing. So we took it to the next level and said, well, what happens if we just start printing recycled stuff? And what, how much, how much tolerance will this machine take? And we were amazed <laughs> that it almost doesn't matter. So we were shredding up everything. We were buying um, regrind directly from industry, um, old prints, stuff that we had laying around the lab. And the printer can take it. And the, the sort of the, the magic behind it is that it has two heat zones. So one, you know, it doesn't matter what the particle size is and how much they're not uniform. It gets melted in the first zone. And then the second zone is the one that actually does the printing. And so you, got, you always have molten plastic feeding that second zone. And so those types of printers make it possible for you to start talking about plastic that only costs a couple of pennies a kilogram, because then it's really just the cost for you to shred it. And there's um, a couple of companies that are already selling desktop shredders. 
Uh, we've been developing one that's more like at a fab lab or library or sort of quasi um, industrial, like mini industrial scale, um, where you just feed in, you know, you save up all your water bottles for the week, you take it to the thing, shred them all down, bring back a, a bag of shredded plastic and then dump it into your 3D printer and print stuff whenever you want. And as these machines, you know, they're at the first stage now. So they only have one nozzle. They don't do multiple colors. It's all like it's you know back to the beginning of simplicity. Um, as those machines start to mature, there is no way that a commercial centralized manufacturer is ever going to be able to compete wow. with something like a shower curtain ring or a chair or anything. Like, it's just not possible because it's basically the cost of electricity to run the things. And that's almost nothing. So I, so I rarely, so as you can tell from my effusive voice, uh, I rarely get excited about uh, stuff that I hear on this, on even from some of the crazy uh, futurists. But this is like, this is the equivalent of like the uh, the horse poop problem uh, of like the 1800s, where there was horse poop everywhere in every single city, and then all of a sudden the car got invented and there was no more horse poop. Uh, right. I, I think you've, you've probably heard that story, but that you're, what, what you're describing is the, the, the ability to, instead of going to recycling plant, just basically just <laughs> basically doing like a full bore, uh, uh, back to the future kind of situation where, uh, where, uh, Doc Brown lands in his space car and puts, uh, and puts trash into the, uh, into the reactor and says, so we got we have to get back Marty. And, exactly. Uh, all right. Very yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. So we'll. We, we got a future where people are like digging around in their neighbor's trash and stealing. All right. <laughs> well, okay. So, so I, I finally, I finally got a, I finally got a chill from a, uh, from a potential thing. Cause my whole goal here is to say that the, we're not going to end up like in Blade Runner, but everybody has, everybody says we're going to end up in, we're not going to end up in Blade Runner, but with a caveat that it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, everything's going to be kind of dark or there's going to be uh, ice caps melting or something like that. But you're, you're the only, you're the only person thus far who's been able to, uh, who's been able to describe a future where everything's not going to be awful i i really really hope that we're right <laughs> <laughs> well okay so this has been great i really appreciate it. where can people find out about where uh what, what you're working on um uh they can go to the university site but the one where we upload all of our free designs for everything from 3d printers to recycle bots to mm -hmm. any of the studies is apropedia.org slash capital m-o-s-t right. and it stands for michigan tech open sustainability technology lab all right. Well, uh, this has been a this has been a real eye opener. I'm excited about this. Finally, I can. Uh, I hopefully I'm gonna I'm gonna get one of these new 3D printers, and I'll be able to uh, I'll be able to tell Alexa to print me uh, more get more stands for my Star Wars guys. Great. My, my, well, not, my, now you can start going after the Star Wars characters. Yeah, like exactly. Broken ones, you can fix them. <laughs> my poor beleaguered wife. She uh, she yells at me all the time because my son really likes me to print stuff, uh, yeah. and then it ends up having it, it, there ends up to have, like some oddly shaped like red thing that just kind of like lays around on the floor until it gets until it gets uh until it gets crushed but uh yeah, yeah it's well, you got yeah you, you got to do things for the wife that that's how i won mine over yeah, wonderful <laughs> well i actually did I actually, <laughs> one last anecdote i did actually create recreate a um a whirlpool uh nozzle or knob for the for the dryer that cracked so i uh -huh. recreated it and I made it, and I made one side longer than the other, but I wasn't exactly sure. I've put it back on, but I don't exactly sure know which side was which. So basically, we I recreated the knob, but I don't know what the what the indications mean. So whenever I go use the dryer, I, she yells at me because I because I do it wrong. But apparently, oh. apparently, I saved I saved the day with that. Oh, that's hey, that that's all it takes. <laughs> what one convert at a time. One convert at a time. Joshua, thank you for this. this is uh, this has been a real treat. 
Thanks a lot. This has been Techutopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out.